welcome to the Payroll Podcast with your host, Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, Specialist Payroll Recruiters. Hello and welcome to the Payroll Podcast. Today I'm really excited to be joined by Helen Hargreaves, Associate Director of Policy at the Chartered Institute of Payroll Professionals, the day after the night before of the CIPP Annual Excellence Awards and Conference. Before joining the CIPP's policy team in April 2011, Helen worked for the HMRC for 27 years, holding the MSc in Business and Payroll Management through Derby University. Helen's responsibilities with the CIPP include managing the policy team, and the CIPP's advisory service, ensuring that the CIPP members have the information, skills and knowledge they need to keep up to date with the ever-changing payroll obligations. Helen is an accomplished writer for the CIPP magazine as well as external publications and she will often be found attending consultation forums with different government departments, conducting consultation surveys and submitting payroll-related responses to various bodies. Truth be told, there are few people, few payroll practitioners with more knowledge than Helen when it comes to the latest developments in payroll and its associated legislation. So I'm really delighted to have some time with her today after what was a fantastic awards evening last night to find out more about the issues affecting payroll today and how we might prepare for them. For those of you that are in attendance at the conference, we've covered a huge amount of material regarding the future of the payroll industry and I'm going to speak to Helen today about a few of those things and try and expand on some new developments and legislation in more detail. So without further ado, welcome Helen to the Payroll Podcast. Good morning, Nick. How are you this morning? I'm very good. It was a slightly late finish at 4.30am <laughs> and we're recording this at 10.15am. <laughs> so if my voice sounds a little coarse, it's, uh, that might be why. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I went to bed at 11. <laughs> very sensible. Did you have a good evening? It was a marvellous evening. It's been a really, really good event over the last two days. It has. It's been fantastic. Well, I'm really, really delighted to have you on board. So first things first, Helen. Five quick questions. I wondered if you could just tell the listeners a little bit more about your journey to the CIPP and in particular how the experiences you gained within the 27 years you spent with the HRC, how they supported you. Well, when I worked in the employer team at the Revenue, our role was to champion the employer, but it's hard to convince others in the department you know what you're talking about. Sure. So it was agreed that I could be seconded to the CIPP for 12 months, spend lots of time with employers, really get a much better understanding of the issues that are affecting employers. The CIPP members were so welcoming. They invited me into their businesses. They invited me into the payroll department. They showed me everything that they had to do, all the burdens, all the convoluted processes sometimes that they had to do. When I went back to the revenue, it was then my job to convince HMRC officials with some authority, really, that sure. these are the problems that employers face in the real world, not just in what should happen in paper, but what actually happens sure. in the real world. So I went back to the revenue for a couple of years. When I came back to the CIPP in 2011, in a way, it was the same thing in reverse, because then I could bring back from the revenue into the CIPP okay. what I knew about the revenue, because we all know the revenue speaks a different language, Yes, and I understand that language, and I understand the thought processes that go on there. But as well, there are a lot of restrictions that HMRC is faced with that they're not allowed to tell us all, you know, the, sure. the reasons why they can't do that, even though it, it would make ultimate sense. And there are all sorts of things going on behind the scenes that I understand that as well. And so sometimes I think that having that understanding of both sides helps me walk that line in between sure. the two and perhaps come up with solutions that hopefully HMRC can accommodate, but which still bring successful outcomes for employers. So you can really understand the frustrations people have then from the payroll side, which is the side I hear about it more, trying Absolutely. to get hold of HMRC. Yeah. When I hear those frustrations... I know without asking what the reasons are behind the scenes in the revenue, but hopefully I can try and put forward suggestions that might overcome sure. HMRC's restrictions behind the scenes. Sometimes it will, sometimes it won't, but at least I can see where they're coming from to see if we can find a way around it. So before you joined the CIPP, when you were doing that sort of translation piece between the yeah. frustrations where people had and then throwing that back to the HMRC, were there any notable achievements or changes that, that came out of that work? Not really, simply because I think everybody knows that, that things move very slowly in the sure. revenue. So I went back for a couple of years 
probably not really long enough. We might well be seeing the, the fruits of my labour now. Okay, okay. Um, but at the time, you know, it's just a case of chipping away and showing that what happens on paper is really not what happens in the real world. Sure. And, and I think one of the things that it has done is possibly opened up the revenue to the idea of consulting and asking questions and not being frightened uh, okay. to do that because what they're bringing needs to work in the real sure. world. And ultimately, we all want the same thing, don't we? So was that one of the attractions of the CRPP? As in you could make change happen a little bit faster? Possibly. I can hope to do that. I've been around long enough to know that um, these things Nothing's are slow moving beasts. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, as I know, we know that one of the things you're really passionate about is ensuring that the CRPP and its policy team continues to be recognised as, I guess, the leading voice in payroll. The last two days at the conference have been a great example of this, but what else do you think can be done to help elevate the voice of the payroll professional? As it stands at the moment, payroll is seen as a very operational role sure and if you think about a business employment costs are significant portion of a business's expenditure usually the greatest cost absolutely and so why wouldn't you consider that at a strategic level sure so what we need to do is try and get that payroll influence at board level now it might be that you know they are represented at the board through the cfo or something like that but what we need to do is we need to shift that you know, route in through the cfo through just a, a purely operational route and we need to get raise our profile payroll and the data that payroll holds because it is such a significant financial element there. And we're definitely going to go into a bit more detail later about how we can do hopefully some of those things or some suggestions. I know that uh, for those listening that didn't make the conference or the awards, there were some really good talks that took place covering a range (coughs) of subjects to uh, robotic process automation, AI and everything else. Were there any sort of standout messages that you're aware of from the talks that you heard yesterday or you're involved in that perhaps you'd like to highlight or any sort of implementable steps that perhaps should be considered by people who are listening to this podcast who want to stay ahead of the payroll curve? I think there were two standout messages that came out of this year's conference. The first, unsurprisingly, is the uncertainty that Brexit brings. And so I want to reassure the people listening to this podcast that weren't at the conference yesterday. Don't worry, we didn't all get the answers to Brexit and you've not missed out on that. Don't really know what's happening yet anyway, must I? No, exactly. (laughs) But what there was through several sessions at conference was a clear message that businesses need to start Brexit proofing their businesses now. Sure. The fact that we don't know how we are going to to leave the EU. We don't know whether we're going to get a deal or a no deal, but there are still some steps that people can take now to start planning ahead for whichever way that that goes. It's not an excuse for no reaction. Absolutely. The key messages that came out were uh, if businesses start planning now, start assessing the workforce. Have you got any EU nationals? They need to make sure that their status is registered and you need to start planning to work out what you would need to do for either of those scenarios. The second, I think, is about the changing workforce and the changing demands that workforce are making. Millennials are demanding a lot more flexibility about when they work, where they work, how they work, even how they're paid and when they're paid. And employment status and gig economy, they're really focusing businesses to assess how they can accommodate these demands some workers are even wanting to be paid as soon as they've completed the work rather than waiting until the end of the week or the month sure. that's in line with the usual conventional pay frequencies. In fact, one presentation that I sat in told us that some Uber drivers could ask to be paid up to five times a day. Wow. Can you imagine incorporating that into your existing payroll practices? Well, I think, I'm, I've, for those who may not be familiar, but with, with new technologies coming in like blockchain, potentially some of these technologies might enable us to have pay whenever we choose to have it. It could be by pay by the, you know, by the minute, by the hour, by the day. Uh, we've got some new businesses on WageStream of changing the way they do things at absolutely. the moment, an interesting model. Yeah, um, I think it must be quite a, a big risk model there, but mm. it's, it's interesting how things are changing. And I did a talk with Vicky at the conference, okay. and we, we talked about social media, but one of the things that we discussed was the death of email. Yeah. Because Generation Z don't use it. I can't imagine a power world without it at the moment. But the reality is Generation Z communicates solely on messenger apps, mm. LinkedIn Messenger, WhatsApp Messenger and things like that. 
we have to start catering towards Generation Z and Millennials Absolutely. now. Yeah. They're going to be the workforce of the future. Absolutely, they are, yeah. That's interesting. It's good. There were some really good talks, and the Uber one was actually one I missed, but it sounds like it would have been a. It was very, very good. Part of. Yeah. Like, for those, it must be difficult. If you weren't at the awards ceremony, I do recommend coming next year. It was a really, really fantastic event. It was, it was amazing for me to see so many power professionals and, of course, service providers get recognised for, for the great work they do on, on a day to day basis that you know we all know sometimes isn't always as appreciated as much as it could be by businesses, and yet we think it should be because, as we know, it's one of the most expensive functions of any business and a real opportunity for payroll professionals to improve the bottom line of any business if it's, if it's run well. In your view, do you think payroll professionals get the recognition they deserve within businesses? Not nearly. And there is this cliche, this, oh, all payroll do is push a button. And it feels a bit trite sure. bringing out this same cliche. But actually, it's true. This is the perception out there that, that, you know, that all the payroll that you need to do is just run the payroll once a month and that's it, job done. How many times do the payroll team ever get thanked for getting the pay right? Never. And to be fair, they wouldn't expect it because they're just doing the job and that's what you come to work to do. Yes. You know, just do your job, get it right, and, and, and that's it. But no one ever thinks about payroll unless something goes wrong. They sure. never think about all those times when no matter how many times over time or whatever they've worked and their pay is right to the last penny, you know, got the money on time and it's all right. It's only ever pops into someone's consciousness when something goes wrong and then all of a sudden the payroll team comes into focus and there's that perception that, you know, payroll just happens magically until it goes wrong and then all of a sudden it's someone's fault. Sure. Sure. That's what we need to overturn. Where do you think that perception comes from? Do you think it's driven by a board level, finance? Do you think it's driven by HR? Do you think it's, you know, where do you think that perception has come into play? Because it's been there ever since I've done it. I've been doing this for 17 years. And it's always been the perception that they just press buttons. But where do you think it originated from? Well, to be honest, I don't know because it's not that long ago that there were no buttons to push because it used yeah, to it's just all manual exactly absolutely. so yeah. yeah so i've got absolutely no idea where it comes from maybe it's because payroll do have a tendency to just get the heads down and get on with the work and they don't make any big song and dance about sure. the complexity of the work that they do they just actually get on with the job i think there's an assumption as an employee as well it's just something because it's your pay and it's something people are so sensitive about and of course if it's wrong it has a potentially have a, a real dramatic knock-on effect mm. in your personal mm. life outside of work. It's one of those things that when you've done your work for a week or a month, you just expect to have it right. Absolutely. You know, yeah. it's, it's the last thing you expect to be incorrect when you open it up and you've, you've got things budgeted for. So it kind of almost breathes into that mentality of, well, it should be right. Surely this is easy to do. Absolutely. You know, I've done my job. This should be easy for you. Yes, and actually, they have no idea from the mechanics behind and every year it gets more complex yes and yet yes. it's still expected to be right and on time and you think this new technology makes things more streamlined potentially but that's because legislation is getting more and more complex it doesn't make the payroll job yeah. necessarily no. easier because it's getting harder so as associate director of policy at the CIPP it would be easy for people to think that your role is only focused on matters concerning complex payroll legislation mm-hmm. which we just discussed mm-hmm. it is of course much wider than that in particular there's a lot of talk about robotics process automation or RPA, blockchain, chatbots and AI. Mm-hmm. What does your research tell you in terms of what you think will be the key technological trends that perhaps payroll leaders should be preparing for that, I guess, in the short term could have the biggest impact on the payroll professional over the next, say, 12 to 48 months? There's so much out there and, and it's hard to identify which ones of these new technologies are going to um, you know, fly and sure. which ones are going to drop off. You know, your technology happens like that all the time. So I've focused on two, really, that okay. I are likely to to stay around. The first is blockchain, yeah. with the increasing focus on protecting data. I mean, especially with GDPR, it's really coming to everybody's sure. focus as well. Um, and it's made people realise just how vulnerable data is. I and mean, there's all these data breaches that are on the yes. TV now, and they really make and, and they're always the big names as well. You wonder if there have um, always been this many breaches, but there was just never any need to publicise exactly. it. Exactly, it does make you wonder that. <laughs> so I'm not 
technically minded, I can't even say it, so I'm obviously <laughs> not here, technically minded, but um, as I understand it in layman's terms, blockchain allows, enables data to be split up into small little blocks. And if an attack happens or a hack happens, the data in that one little block is useless on its own. You need the whole chain to be able to make sense of that data. And that does seem like a technology that is going to be so useful moving forward once sure. people realise what it is and how it can benefit them and how it can protect them from what seems to be an increasing number of cyber attacks. We're kind of in the old school days of computing, I think, for blockchain. When the first computer was made and it took up a whole room. Yeah. And everyone knew it was going to revolutionise it, but it was so big that no one could afford it and no one could implement it because you just needed it. You know, the, the most basic computing power Absolutely. took a whole room to build. I thought that's what we are with blockchain. At the moment, it's too powerful. It takes too much of an energy resource. And there are too many issues around it. It's not quite ready for, in my no. view, adoption yeah. yet. But once they get that exactly. smaller so, and advanced yes. and yes. becomes the size of a, you know, a, a UBS stick, Absolutely. And in our recent Future Payroll survey, we asked the question of our members, because it is still in its very early stages, so we asked them, have you ever heard of blockchain? And only 16% of the respondents said that they'd heard of it. And 14% said they thought that they might be likely to use it in the future. Now, it's not really surprising that only 14% thought that they would use it if only 16% sure. had heard of it. But actually, those two numbers are actually quite close. Well, those that had heard of it, it looks like most of them thought that in the future... An interesting question would be been for that for me, of the 16% or even the 14%, how many of those could explain what it is? Yeah. And it'd probably be 1%. Absolutely. It is, it is a bit of a... Um, Difficult as a concept. Yeah. Um, I've done a, a series of articles on LinkedIn for those that want to have a, a read about it. There are already blockchain power companies out there working, particularly in the fintech, you know, Silicon yeah. Valley and places like that. So it is going to happen. It's already happening, but it's it's slow moving at the moment. Yeah, it's interesting. What I'm interested in is to how quickly it does take off. You know, you've given the idea of between the next 12 to 48 months. Yes, where it? it's something that we're going to follow up in our future service. See, you know, how this changes as we move forward. And do you think we'll ever pay people in crypto? Who knows? Because when I started work, you did still used to get proper paper envelope with real life money inside. Yeah, sure. And I could never imagine anything different to that. That does make me sound like I'm about 104. But, you know, things just move on so much. So I'm not really in the best position to be able to say one way or the other on that one. The other thing that I think that payroll departments need to really get their head round and I think it's a really difficult concept for people to, to work through is this pay on demand okay. um, but we know with this increasing gig economy the, the flexibility of working hours that uh, more organisations are coming onto the market that will allow workers to request payment when they want sure. it now I know from a payroll point of view there's all sorts of concerns you know about reporting to HMRC or yeah. before the uh, date of payment you know if you've got five payments in one day holy moly that's going to potentially create all sorts of headaches but then that's when you need the technology sure. to come in and help manage that for you we've also got to think about how that might link in with universal credits which of course are adjusted according to the amount of pay that yeah. someone receives so it's not just working out how things can evolve in the payroll world, we've also got to make sure that the government departments can keep up and that they're... Are the solutions that algorithmic, if that's the word? You know, are they algorithms that just need to be developed to allow it to do real time or is it more complex than that? I'm not technically minded. So I, I suspect that the answer is yes. That normally when you speak to a software developer, they will say, we can do anything that you want us to do. Sure. Um, so I, I like that answer. It's getting the rules right in the first place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And getting those rules and those specifications out from government because it's always government that sets the specifications and then software works to it. When you've got this outside factor of the workers saying that I want 
something when I want it, well sure. then that's got to work in with the government and with the software as well. So I do think that it is going to evolve. I do think that it will become much more commonplace, but we really need to get the concept into our minds of how exactly it can work to still fulfil all these obligations sure. that, the, that the revenue plays. I'm, I'm still a little bit on the fence with the whole pay-on-demand concept. I know that it's been some of the business I mentioned one of them earlier who, who are already offering this kind of service. But for me, I understand that the mentality of millennials or generations are going, well, I work that day, so I should have the moment I want it. I don't need, why should I have to wait when I've already done the work? I understand the concept from that side, but I think there's potentially bigger ramifications behind the idea of budgeting mm. and if you're getting it all the day you know as soon as you've earned it you've spent it you lose that ability to budget properly yep. it could tie into some debt related issues in my view i completely agree and this is something that i've been saying the concept behind pay on demand is financial well-being and caring for your workers and whatever yes. and i just keep thinking yeah but if they get paid a week early because some people were saying you know they run out of money before they run out of month yeah so they need payment yeah. a month early and you think yeah but then surely that means that then they'll run out of money two weeks early in the exactly. next month and with that and financial wellness and financial well-being i think need to be given deeper thought than just on the surface i totally of, agree um, i totally agree yeah i think there's potential issues there and Absolutely. you know it's uh, so interesting we'll see how it we'll see how it Absolutely, develops yeah. Einstein famously said that insanity was doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. We believe it's time to try a new approach to recruitment. JGA Recruitment specialise in recruiting the top 15% of payroll and HR talent using innovative 24-7 attraction strategies that are proven to improve quality of hire, candidate retention and return on investment. De-risk your recruitment process today and hire better talent faster with JGA Recruitment. Visit jgarecruitment.com find out more having previously worked for her majesty's revenue and customs or hmrc do you think it's about time that from that perspective it had some proper ministerial oversight i say that because at the moment it doesn't and i think there's a potential issue that exists at the moment from what i hear in terms of feedback from power managers where the bucks doesn't really stop anywhere and that therefore can be sort of a hindrance to progress why do you think they don't have any ministerial oversight and in your view, if something does go wrong at the top level, where does the buck stop? Mm. To be honest, I think that there will be a lot of listeners out there that are surprised to hear that HMRC isn't a government department in its own right, in the same way that the Department for Work and Pensions or the Department sure. of Business, uh, Energy and Industrial Strategy, you know, you just automatically put it in the same category, yes. and it isn't. It's a no-ministerial department, but it does come under the jurisdiction of Mel Stride, who's the Financial Secretary to the Treasury. Yeah. Now, when we have consultation meetings with the revenue, a lot of the time they say to us that they are awaiting ministerial decisions. So the, there are ministers there, there are ministers with um, an, an interest who are the decision makers. It's just not quite as clear cut as the Department for Work and Pensions are obeys. There's a very strange, in my opinion, relationship between HMRC and the Treasury because you would sort of think that there would be that natural fit there between the revenue and the Treasury. But very often that when they run consultations, they run them jointly and each department is looking at things from a different angle and has a different focus and perhaps sometimes hoping for a slightly different outcome. Having worked on that side of the fence, is it quite siloed like that I don't think that there's a very close working relationship between the revenue and the treasury unless there is a specific project okay. where they come together and then they will do joint consultations sure. And but interestingly then at the consultation meetings you will get treasury officials there and you will get the revenue officials there and they're speaking with regards to their own department yeah. rather than rather than okay. the, they don't get together beforehand to come up with a united message Perhaps they do. If they do, well, then they hide it. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. So do you think then the HRC are liaising enough with the leaders in the industry, such, such as yourself, to help progress the profession? Yes, I do. Consultation is still seen by some areas of HMRC as just a box that you've got to tick to say that you've done it and then you can sure. go on and do whatever you wanted to do anyway. But that's not 
the case in a lot of the departments. And coming through from the top now as well, there appears to be a real drive to work with key stakeholders. I mean, one message that we've been saying with the directors that we've been meeting is we understand that resources in HMRC are stretched. Sure. They've got an extra resource in stakeholder groups who can help them and work with them and if they trust us then we can work with them to hopefully achieve something that's going to benefit us all because whenever you want to bring something in you want it to be brought in uh, with as least admin burden as yes. possible and to be as streamlined as possible to ultimately give the revenue and, their, and its ministers exactly what it is that that they're wanting to achieve so it's a win-win all round sure. if they trust us and use it and in recent months uh, Ken Puller the CEO of the CIPP has been invited to several meetings with leaders in HMRC along with other leaders of key stakeholder okay, groups positive. exactly to <laughs> seek their views to seek their you know advice and, and insight into key areas that could relieve pressure on employers thoughts on on where we could go you know how the limited uh, resources of mhmrc could get the biggest impact for the least book if Great. you like well that's good that's mm. good news Sounds like I'm being hard on HMRC here. I don't necessarily mean to be. But so if we flip it and play devil's advocate slightly, do you think that there are enough power managers, and we've seen hundreds of power managers at this at this conference over the last couple of days, do you think there are enough power managers taking or having a willingness to get involved in forums? Do you think they know how to get involved in consultations? And is, is there a, a clear route to market the, for those that want to? The consultation forums, usually with... A representative body. Sure. At the CIPP, we are really, really clear that when, so if I attend a consultation meeting, yep. what Helen Hargreaves thinks is totally irrelevant. It's what the payroll profession sure. thinks. It's why we do so many surveys. It's why we get out and talk to people who are actually doing the job, feeling the pain, because it's what they think sure. that matters. Do you feel you get enough engagement at the moment? Because in any industry, you have people that go, well, I want this change, but actually I'm not going to be the ones doing anything about it. Payroll, we've already said, is increasingly complex. Yes. And we do understand that people are under a lot of time pressures. We do try and encourage everybody. If the, you can spare time, we usually give an expectation of how long a survey will take sure. to complete, why it's important that you would do it because we try and time it with pay cycle runs and yeah, this kind yeah. of oh, thing. Oh, that's interesting. It's crazy thinking that I didn't even see Absolutely. behind the scenes. Absolutely. Okay. You've, you've got to do that. And a lot of the time we understand that it can be difficult for people to do that. But I have seen how this can actually work in practice. It's a few years ago now. It stunned me so much that I'm still talking about it even now, a few years later. About two or three years ago, there was consultation came out, fell out of the OTS uh, look at expenses and benefits yep. and they brought four consultations out that all came out together. We created these four surveys, encouraged our members to fill out these surveys, tell us exactly what they think would work, what wouldn't work. Whilst the surveys were open, whilst the consultation were open, HMRC called a consultation meeting. Uh, various people went. I downloaded our survey results to date. The surveys were still open, but the I took The timing was got. perfect. Absolutely. And whilst we were around the table, once it became clear that I wasn't just talking about what Helen Hargreaves thought, but I'd got evidence of what was going to work for payroll or not. They were changing their thoughts as the meeting progressed. Oh, wow. We got to the stage where they are saying, Helen, what do your members think? And it's that power, that people power, that sure. really, really can, not always, I'm not that naive, <laughs> but can have an effect. And one thing that our members are really starting to, to embrace is the policy think tanks that we hold. So various topics either coinciding with a consultation that's been published or even just something that we know is on the radar with a government department. We literally have a, not literally a round table, because normally it's a not long table, isn't it, where we've shoved all the rest together, but we have people sitting around a table. We want to keep it that small because that encourages 
debate and allows sure. everybody to have to have the say. So up to about 20 people with members of that government department that have responsibility for that policy that they're wanting to shape that policy. We introduce them to each other. The policy makers can talk to the people on the ground and find out exactly the number of times that I've heard that question, but why do you do that? That then gives him that greater understanding. Exactly. And we try and run the think tanks up and down the country, not just London-centric, and more and more government officials are willing to travel out of London so that we can really meet the members, and that is something that is growing in in popularity. I guess if you are getting your next survey through, if you don't follow it, it's kind of a, it's an old adage or an old cliche, but if you don't respond you're voting for no change absolutely oh you've just got to live with what everybody the else majority. has said. yeah yes. yeah yeah so four or five minutes yeah. of your time it's worth absolutely about. so yeah i want to try and move the podcast on to find out a little bit more about you helen if we can time to find out more about you so how would your friends describe you and how would your work colleagues describe you well i confess i thought this question might come up and Genuinely, I had no idea what my friends and my colleagues might think of me, so I thought, okay, ask them. Fair enough. Oh, well, that backfired, because (laughs) what I said was, what would you think about me? Don't feel that you've got to say anything nice. The derogatory comments are normally the funnier ones anyway, so let's go with that. But despite me telling them not to be nice, they came back with nice things and then ended up looking like I was fishing for compliments, which uh, doesn't really work when we're looking at this. But there was a common theme from every single one of my friends, and that was that I was fun, bubbly, and never so slightly bonkers. Oh, that's nice. That's good. (laughs) Really? (laughs) But then coming back from my colleagues, a lot of the same words came back, so I'm not (laughs) sure what to think about that. Uh, There was a common theme, honest, friendly, a little bit mad. There's that word again, but... A couple of the colleagues did say something different. So one said that I was a good egg. And good the other egg. one came back with one word, I'm Yorkshire. So <laughs> let's be a good Yorkshire egg. We'll set up for that one. Perfect. Well, listen, prior to this, prior to this, I asked, you know, um, I told a colleague of mine, I, I, won't, I won't mention on the podcast, but I said, you know, I'm doing a podcast with Helen Hargreaves. And their response was, you'll love it. She's full of energy. It'll be entertaining. It'll be great. And I said, it's good. So similar kind of comments. Yeah, but can we go for informative as well as entertaining? And informative, of course. <laughs> I want to get into the legislative information coming up soon, which is great. So tell me something then about you that perhaps other people don't know about you. I was once in a Bollywood movie. Wow, okay. <laughs> Not a starring role, obviously, but we did appear in a Bollywood movie as extras. As extras. Do you have a passion for acting on the side, or is this... No, and given that, all we were supposed to do was walk along a beach behind a lot of Indian dancers, you know, because the Bollywood movie sure. there spectacles of dancing and singing all we had to do was walk behind them and it took about five takes because we were either too fast too slow not walking at quite the right angle how hard can it be to walk across the back of a group of dancers so you want IMDB uh, <laughs> unfortunately not I don't even know what the movie's called but uh, we're in there somewhere we'll, we'll look at those watching Bollywood movies keep it out in the background absolutely yes. so you're abducted by aliens who want to learn more about our species Yes. What item would you take with you? Chocolate. 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 Great answer. How could they not love me after I fired them with chocolate? And if they're not chocolate lovers, well, then that's fine because I'll just eat it. Do you have a personal fave? I'd love to say yes, but I'm not that discriminate. I just like... Well, you're like me. No, fair enough. <laughs> Absolutely. It's definitely my guilty pleasure as well, I think. <laughs> what game or instrument would you teach them? Um, a few weeks ago, we had a team night out and we played a game called Dobble, which I have never heard of I've never heard in of my Dobble. life. Dobble. It's like um, a hyped-up version of, of Snap or Happy Families okay. or something, really, except that on each card, there's about six, seven, eight different symbols and you can match any one of those symbols an absolute hoot we were sort of in danger of perhaps being asked to leave because we we're being a bit okay. a bit loud but you can tell that we're all women of a certain age because we got to the stage where we couldn't see the symbols on the cards without having to put our glasses on first <laughs> that might be a game you have to teach me as well as the aliens Absolutely. I've never heard of it either I'll have to check it out what would you tell them about humans <sighs> now time for a little bit of, of depth I would say that would tell them that to err is human we all make mistakes right so with that in mind then what human trait would you hold back 
I would not tell them that we lie. Oh, so <laughs> there you go. Very clever as well. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, I want to get back into the legislation side of things. Okay. Five quick questions. It's obviously where you are very experienced mm. and are a genuine expert and um, one of the, the leading experts in the UK on the subject. So I mentioned in the introduction that you've written many articles for the CIPP magazine, as well as a number of other external publications. I've read some of these as well. In particular, I read a recent article regarding Class 1A national insurance contributions on termination payments, which we now know will not be reported through the FPS for 2019-20, but the government will still impose liabilities on the taxable portion of a termination payment. So with no implementation date set for this, what guidance do you think is needed to help employers navigate through this process, both for the interim and the longer term? Mm. The meeting that we're at, the consultation meeting, where it was confirmed that we wouldn't need to use the FPS for 1920. Everything that they use, that was the only definite that came out. Everything else from that was likely or expected okay. or, or, Still up or in the air slightly. like that. Yes. That being said, we did, everybody round the table, did make it very clear that what we need is to know now what the plans are. So even if they are going to bring in Class 1A national insurance uh, on the termination payments for 1920, if they're going to do that, and we know it's not going to be a a real-time deduction, so it wouldn't need to be reported until July 2020. We were begging HMRC, do not think that because that's 18 months away, you don't need to make a a decision now. We need to know now. Software has to accommodate it and the software for 1920 is being issued in the next couple of months. The software providers, they put pressure on you or on... They were software developers are in the room as well. They're in the room as well. Yes, and we all stood together for... United Front. Absolutely. And the people in the room really then understood the time frames that are needed so yes we talked about you know do we need these decisions and we need them as soon as possible but when we get them we also need proper clear comprehensive guidance ideally that they've shared with us in advance on a confidential basis to sense check it to make sure Sure. that sometimes what guidance has a habit of doing is telling people what the revenue or DWP or whoever else what they want us to know instead of actually fulfilling the need for what employers really sure. needed and wanted to know sure. themselves. The sense checking makes, well, makes sense. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah. And if I'm honest, I think that message was clearly received. And we're hopeful. It's not within their gift because we're waiting for ministerial decisions. Yes. But hopefully we will get what we need. And because it's not going through the FPS, hopefully we'll get it in time and it will watch this space Absolutely. or follow your yes. updates because I know that obviously you, you, you're quite vocal on your LinkedIn yes. profile there's some good articles on this as well so for those that haven't seen Helen's LinkedIn profile if you want to find out more about this particular article and other articles it's worth yeah. worth checking in and following those um, there was another article actually on LinkedIn that you wrote recently regarding the PAYE tax gap mm-hmm. and Good news is it's come down. It's smaller. It's come down from 7.3% in 2005, 2006, when measuring began, to just 1.1%, which is about 2.9 billion in remuneration terms, as a percentage of PAYE liabilities in 2016, 2017. So while I'm sure that RTI must be accountable for some of this closing of the PAYE tax gap, what I'm more interested to know is, do you think that this gap reduction is also down to the fact that payroll professionals are more skilled than ever, which I think they are, and they've had to be, and they've upskilled themselves, in ensuring employees are paid both accurately and on time? Whenever I see these tax gap figures, I'm just always so proud of payroll professionals because PageWearn is one of the biggest contributors to the exchequer. Sure. We generate the most money, and yet the tax gap is one of the smallest across all the taxes. And yes, of course, RTI has played its part in that. You can't take away from that. But the main overriding factor in this in my opinion is the responsibility that payrollers feel towards the people that they pay sure and it's their workers that suffer if payroll does not 
do things properly. Paying people accurately and on time is what drives payroll to make sure that they've got the knowledge that they need to achieve it. Um, our market insight survey shows that the most widely used and popular member benefits are the ones that provide information. The advisory service, the daily or weekly news emails, the payroll fact card, the, sure. the magazine. Without shadow of a doubt, the top benefits most used are those that allow people to get the information they need to do the job. And keeping up to date with, with legislation, knowing what the obligations are, how to fulfil them. Every year there's additional complexity. Every year they throw something else in. And to be honest, you can sort of see why, because it doesn't matter what they throw at payroll. Somehow or other, handle it. we deliver. Yeah. And so, yes, there has to be that natural consequence that people are continually educating themselves, keeping up to date with everything that they need to do to make sure that they can fulfil those obligations. Fantastic. I think it's a really, a really great, great answer because for those people out there that are concerned about some of the technologies coming in, we talk about RPA and the potential of roles being automated. You've just given a number of reasons as to why you can't automate the role of the strategic payroll professional. They have a much bigger role to play in employee engagement, in reduce keeping that tax gap reduced, staying on top of complex legislation. There's a whole wealth of reasons as to why the role will not be automated. And, and just to reaffirm, the things that will be automated will be tasks and potentially some of the data input level tasks. Absolutely. But yeah. For those listening to this podcast, data inputting people, in my view, aren't really payroll people anyway. It's a no. totally different thing. Absolutely. And we need to yeah. make that distinction. So, yeah. really good answer. That's good. What do you think payroll leaders need to be doing in order then to stay ahead of the profession? I would say that the world is ever-changing and it's really important that payroll leaders keep up to date with all those changes, whether that's new and advancing technology or whether it's that shifting role that payroll can play within a business, moving it from purely an operational process to the strategic role, such a a huge amount of data that a business could start to mine into and and use it to their advantage. So I would suggest that what payroll leaders have to do is exactly what you've just said. Embrace that technology to deal with the more mundane tasks so that then what they can do is free up the staff to deal with yes. those other more complex sure. elements. We're definitely on the same page there. We are indeed. That's good news. Then from your perspective on the policy side of things, what are the key legislative changes that you're expecting updates on right now? And how do you think these are going to impact payroll departments in the near term? I would say that, you know, you've been here at conference uh, for the last two days and throughout nearly every session, there's been the underlying review of modern working practices that was undertaken by Matthew Taylor. And it comes out in so many different ways, whether it's employment status or the workers' rights all those kinds of things are going to be impacting government and businesses and and it's not going to be short term because there's so many things looking ahead in the future as well and these things are very very subtle it's not going to be a big bang approach where it you know everybody will know that it's coming in so payroll really needs to keep their eyes open because if workers rights change subtly and employment status is a much more focus going on that we know that we're looking at the uh, off payroll workers as well which is also linked into employment status everything is interlinked it feels at the moment in a huge piece that is going to affect lots of different government departments businesses in all sorts of levels the link between payroll and HR is becoming greater I think you've highlighted with the employee engagement some of the things you raised there an HR person will go actually that's in my realm employee engagement and And we need to make sure that we work with HR not siloed to make sure that you know we're all working the same way I think also we're influenced more now in what is a a very social world communication by what happens globally so if there is a change in another country that's working it's quite likely that we'll start seeing it being implemented to keep your eyes open I think it was only this morning I read a headline news 
following the gender pay gap, but now they've recognised there's a big disparity on the racial yes. pay gap. So yes. again, if that's being explored, it's likely that's going to impact payroll at some point in the future. Absolutely, yeah, because uh, the consultation came out yesterday for oh, did it? Uh, okay. ethnicity pay gap, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there will be considering disability pay gap sure. as well moving forward. Sure, and again, it's that instinct with HR again. It's all Absolutely. really, really close. Fantastic. Yes. So... Last question before we open the vaults. Mm-hmm. If you could summarise your view of the role of the CIPP within the payroll profession, what would it be? And what do you think could be done to ensure that the Institute continues to be seen as the leader, if you like, in terms of how the industry is shaping the future of payroll? Um, the CIPP's Royal Charter means that we work on behalf of the whole of the payroll profession. And as part of that, we encourage collaboration. We need to make sure that we all work together to make sure that collectively we achieve what's best for the payroll industry. It's important that we don't just collaborate within the payroll industry because we've already just mentioned about the link with HR. So, you know, collaborative working with CIPD. Only this week, I've just recorded a a webinar with ACAS. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's important that we work together because we all ultimately are wanting to achieve the same things and it's much better that we achieve that, more likely to achieve success if we all work together. Speaking openly, there was evidence of that at the awards yesterday because I have friends at the Learn Centre who are here, Absolutely. I have friends at the GPA who yep. were there, and yep. everyone's kind of communicating and working. Absolutely. And we all have the same common goal, which is hopefully to evolve and push forward and the payroll industry and elevate yes. it, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yep. So we're going to open the vault. Okay. Entering the vault. One piece of advice you would give to someone working in payroll right now. I would say that payroll legislation and obligations are changing so quickly. Just make sure that you have a route to making sure that you keep up to date with everything as it as it's happening. Excellent. Whatever that route is, keep up to date. You have to. And one way you can do that is, of course, giving the CIPP regular updates. Absolutely, it is. Yes, daily or weekly news emails. Yes, they come into my inbox, so I know them well. Yes, yes, and LinkedIn as well. So we post a lot on LinkedIn to keep everybody up to date. Fantastic. I will put a link to Helen's LinkedIn profile on the episode notes as well if anyone wants to follow those articles. With the benefits of hindsight, what would be the one career decision you would change? Hindsight's wonderful. So now with that benefit of hindsight, (laughs) genuinely none. Okay, that's nice. There could well have been a point in my career where I thought, what am I doing here? But like everybody else, I think in the revenue, no one thinks when they're a child, I know I want to be a tax collector when I grow up. Uh, And I became a tax collector while I worked out what I really wanted to do. But if I hadn't joined the revenue, I wouldn't be at the CIPP now because that's the direct link. And so I have to say, no. no I would say, speaking on your behalf, I think you exude effervescence. You clearly enjoy what you do, <laughs> which is do. great yeah. to see. You know, you're clearly very passionate about it, and it's it's lovely. It's good. 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 If you had the power of foresight and you could change the entire payroll industry with one action or improvement, what would that action or improvement be? I think it might be a little bit controversial now. Well, we like controversy. That's good. <laughs> it depends which way you look at it. If I had that magic wand and, and could start doing that, I would align tax and national insurance. Okay. And better men than me have looked at it, tried and failed, taken it out of the cupboard, had to play with it and thought, no, it's too hard and put it back in. But, you know, you're giving me like utopia now. Yeah. So I would rip the rule book out and I would start again with tax and national insurance. So, devil's advocate, could it be done? <laughs> Several people have tried. Yeah. What they've tried to do, try to soften the edges of the existing rules and try to make them fit with each other. Yeah. And every time they try to do that, they realise it ain't going to happen and they put it back in the cupboard. It can happen if put the rule book and starts again. But that would be a fundamental change and it's whether there's the will to do that on both sides sure, to be honest sure no it'll be a lot of work but absolutely. sometimes we need that right absolutely so okay if I, if I asked you if the HMRC came to you and said right we are on the fence here we are considering ripping up the rule book and starting again it's going to be a huge amount of work for you of course especially the CIPP huge amount of work for us but we can start again what would you say I would say 
let me consult my members and see what they say. Oh, look at that. <laughs> oh, turned off politician. <laughs> what would you want if you're representing your view within the membership? Um, my view would be, well, let's look at it. Let's see exactly what the repercussions would be if we were to rip up the rule book. Is the ripple effect just too significant? Sure. And even though it can be a nightmare trying to align the tax rules and the NIC rules, that might be better than the huge tidal wave that we got if we ripped it up. So you're still concerned about your members here. I can see that, which is a good but, thing. But even so, because this has been an issue for everybody for so long, but... We've never been given the opportunity to see what it could look like, what sure. the implications would be in the interim and what the final result would look like. So I think that we'd need to have a proper look at it, work out what the repercussions would be, but what the final result would be, and then decide, should we go down that route? Or actually, now, looking at that, what we've got ain't so bad after all. Sure. No, no, fair enough. We'll watch the space. Maybe we'll... Meet together in five years' time and we'll see what's happened. We'll see how it's moved. Maybe it'll be combined at that time. I'm sure technology will look very different anyway at that point. Who motivates you and why? What motivates me is that passion, enthusiasm, commitment that payroll people show for their profession. You saw last night. Yeah. Alistair McGowan. He was um, brilliant, by the way. He absolutely was. And he looked taken by the enthusiasm and the passion that everybody has yes. for payroll. How can you not be motivated by so, that? Maybe I'll change the question slightly then. So why do you love payroll so much? I like numbers. Okay. I like coming to an answer that is either right or is wrong. It's logical. Absolutely. I like that. But ultimately, why wouldn't you like? <laughs> you know, giving someone money, why wouldn't you want to do that? I think a bit I would like, because I'm not a payroll professional. I also recruit for payroll people. As I just like to see what everyone's earning all the time. <laughs> I'd, I'd like the curiosity side of it. I'd like to work for a football club. That's what I'd like to do. And see what Sergio Aguero and people like that are getting each week and just enjoy it. <laughs> that's what I would like. But hey, that's why I do recruitment and not payroll, probably. <laughs> If you didn't work in payroll, what would you be doing? Well, my dream job would be a dog walker. Oh, okay. That's what so I So you must I, have dogs at home? I have yeah. dogs at home, but I also live at the very top of a very big hill in the middle of the Pennines where it's Lovely. very often wet and windy. Being a dog walker in wet and windy ain't good. So my dream job would be a dog walker somewhere nice, warm and sunny. What dog do you have? I've got two Shelties. Two Shelties, like are they called? Baby, baby lasses. One's called Hope. And once called Sky. Fantastic. My babies. Brilliant. Well, listen, that brings us to a close, Hazel. Thank you ever so much for joining Thank us on the Payroll no, Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. pleasure. I will put some links to your LinkedIn profile, if I may. I'll obviously put some links to the CIPP. If you are listening and you're not familiar with them, and then we have some international listeners here as well, so I'll put some links there. We did have a number of international bodies joining us at the awards, with the American Payroll Association here, with the Canadian Payroll Association, the Irish Payroll Association, Australian Payroll Association, of course. So if you are an international listener, then I'll put some of those links in the episode notes as well, so you can check out the bodies of the other international Health associations as well. But otherwise, just a huge thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to speaking to everyone again on the next episode in a couple of weeks. It's been a pleasure, Nick. Thank Thanks, you. Helen. You've been listening to the Payroll Podcast with Nick Day of JGA Recruitment, specialist payroll recruiters. If you would like to feature on a future podcast, please contact us. For a wealth of world-class payroll content, please visit us at jgarecruitment.com. See you next week.